Hey up friends, how's it going? It's Matt, you're listening to episode 132 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, hope you enjoy this episode. Feels like I've been away for a little while actually, mainly because I had a whole load of these episodes recorded ahead of time. So even though I've been releasing them every week, it's actually a few weeks since I recorded one of these things, feeling a little bit out of practice. See how we get on, eh? Anyway, my guest this week is Steve La Rosalier. Hope I've pronounced that correctly. A social entrepreneur and the man behind Stoked, a US-based charity that uses action sports and mentoring to empower disadvantaged youths. As I discussed with Steve during our chat, Stoked's ambitions can be summarized in the following way. What if we could use action sports to teach 21st century skills to urban youth? It's a lofty goal. And there are quite a few organisations running similar programmes around the world right now. Snow Camp in the UK is one I'm certainly familiar with. I'm pretty sure Stoke, Stoked even, there you go, told you I was out of practice, might be the longest established though, being founded in 2005. And at this point, having worked with and mentored thousands of kids across the States. So I wanted to talk to Steve about that, as well as his wider views on what he calls social entrepreneurship and his take on altruism which is a word we discuss in depth, actually, as a path towards individual self-fulfillment. I was also interested in chatting to him about issues of race and identity, particularly off the back of a really open and thought-provoking Instagram video he posted in June around the time of Blackout Tuesday, in which he very honestly and openly discussed those topics. Um, I really recommend you check that out, actually, on his Instagram. So that's exactly what we did. We discussed all that and more in a quick-fire conversation recorded at the beginning of August 2020. Now, I know on the sound, as ever, I asked Steve to record his side of the conversation using the mic, which worked out great. But there were a few little bumps and movements on there that the mic picked up. And personally, I was in the shed. And I don't know if, you know, there's a heat wave going on right now. And my lovely neighbours were having a bit of a shindig while this was going on. Fair play, it was hot. Sun was out, why wouldn't you? Anyway, you might be able to hear a bit of that in the background. I'll be back at the end. But in the meantime, here's me and Steve. Hustle for good. Enjoy. So, Steve, we we, we did it. (laughs) We finally finally got got together. How you doing? I'm really well. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. Um, That's all right. I'd love to. I'm, I'm excited. I like podcasting. I love podcasts. I love uh, I love conversations with people. So yeah, I'm excited to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. Well, I mean, there's a lot of them around these days, isn't there? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you've got one yourself, right? So yeah, yeah. I yeah, I have uh, just I have one called the Hustle for Good podcast. So I just I started it. I I kind of look at podcasting as mini projects where you get to dive in deep into a subject for a little while. And, um, and then you could also just like learn to connect with people and have honest conversations that can benefit other people. And it's, it's really kind of an amazing, I, lo- I just love the whole voice medium. I think it's really, really fascinating. So, yeah, you can see that with the topics you're exploring, you know, you're doing a couple of things, aren't you? You're, yeah you like try to share your knowledge but also you're kind of sharing your own journey aren't you you know like with 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 the work you're doing 
and the kind of name as well hustle for good encapsulates it seems to me from what i from from what i can tell like your your approach to life and the work that you do is that, mm -hmm. is that a fair is that a fair comment yeah it's it's something that like i remember when i first started stoked it was i didn't even approach it like a non-profit i just approached it like i just need to get some money to take some kids snowboarding so i'm going to do whatever it takes legally in order to do it and so right. i like at the time when i first started i had i had experiences throwing parties when we could still have in life in-person parties and um, <laughs> it feels like a while ago <laughs> yeah and and so i knew how to throw parties i knew how to put together like the right offering for people in order to make and i just had so much fun throwing parties and then like you work really really hard <laughs> you work really really hard for like you know for one day like you work months for one day right um and but and it becomes like this memorable moment where community comes together for one thing and that's something that i i really really loved and i appreciate about like and so for me it was always about like yeah i just need to hustle just to get some money so i could do some good and um because it's, it's one thing to hustle for other uh, like hustle for yourself but like it's a totally a whole the, it's like the next level where you hustle and then you help people like you take that you take the resources and you help you help somebody else you know yeah it's not usually spoken about in like an altruistic way is it you know it isn't, no, it, isn't no, no. it isn't it isn't it isn't spoken about as like a concept it's a very individualistic concept usually a thousand percent yeah yeah that's that's exactly it yeah so it's, it's it, and it, it encap like i say it comes across and it encapsulates the approach that you brought to stoats as well so go back a little bit then so where where were the where were the parties being organized and what what kind of parties were you organizing so first couple so my first real party so my first party for stoked um was uh so when i first started stoked i came up with an idea i came up with the idea while i was snowboarding in whistler um british columbia and that's kind of where i came up with it and it was like shortly thereafter i was like you know what i need to get like a famous person to be a part of it and that's how i like Salema Masakela kind of came to mind. Um, but I had went through the process of like, you know, raising money and like, I was just doing anything. I remember I met this guy, uh, Tony Ferguson. I don't know if you know him. I know the Do, name. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. A, he used to be a pro skateboarder for girl skateboards. I yeah. literally met him in a nightclub in British Columbia. Right. And I saw that he looked like a skater. So I just rolled up to him and I said, hey, you're a skater? He was like, yeah. He's like, I'm Tony Ferguson. I was like, all right, cool. I don't know who you are. But and <laughs> so I did, and because out of context, you know, like it was it wasn't the way like social media is today. Like, you you know, it's like you only saw people in skate videos and it was hard to or magazines. You couldn't really sort of see them. And so, yeah, I kept in touch. And I remember I when I, I announced to the world that I was quitting my job and ending my engagement and selling all of my possessions and moving back in with my family so that I could start a snowboard mentoring program. Um, and I reached out to everybody that I knew at the time. And I was like, Hey, um, I was like, I, he's like, 
I remember Tony wrote back and he was like, oh, this is cool. He goes, I, I'm starting a snowboard distribution company with this other guy. He goes, you should contact Forum Snowboards. They got some, they have some snowboards that they could donate to. I was like, awesome. <laughs> so they sent me a 10 setups and I, I was like, great. I, I can't do anything with them now because I don't have any money or kids or mentors, but I'm going to flip them on Craig, Craigslist and eBay. So I legitimately... <laughs> <laughs> would just like I sold snowboard setups and I use that to do some money, uh, get some money for the program. Right. I, I had a mentor at the time. So I was I got this whole journey started because I was bit by a by the bug of the idea of mentoring. Right. Right. Like just the idea and the idea of mentoring is is as such as like it's a relationship. And like but like it's not like any old relationship. It's like the relationship of all relationships. It's like better than any piece of software app that's on your phone right now, right? And it is somebody with more experience than somebody else. Usually somebody it's older, but it, it was like one of those things where I was so fascinated because I got the idea from a book that I read and the book was called No More Prisons. And the guy's name was Billy Upsky Wimzat. He was a graffiti artist, white guy who traveled around the United States helping people. And I was just, you know how you look at like a snowboarder, a snowboard video or a surfing video and you're like, fuck, I want that. I want that. <laughs> That's the way I looked at his life. I was like, I want that. I want to, I want to like help people. I was like, cause it was like, I want to, I want to be able, cause he had this kind of lifestyle that like he'd get some money, he'd open up a community center, he'd throw some parties and he'd help kids. His first book was he went to all the different worst ghettos in the United States and the worst projects to show white people that black that white people could do it, right? And his his first book was edited by a 15-year-old and he talked about collaborating with young people and that was something that was I was just like the energetically, that's where my 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 heart was. Like, I just wanted to work with young people and give them an opportunity because I was given a lot of opportunities myself. And so, so I was bit by the bug. And in the, his book, he talked about how he community activism, self education, and mentoring. And that was the thing that really stuck to me. And so, I really love mentoring. So I got a mentor myself. And then once I got a mentor myself, I started mentoring inner city kids. And that's where I started to see like. Wow, mentoring is really whack. Like, just in terms of like mentoring, you just kind of sit at a table and you don't do anything. Like, you yeah. just have a conversation, you eat pizza, right? Like, uh, and like, I just came up with the idea while I was snowboarding in Whistler. I was like, you know what? I wish it was like last run of my last day. And I was like, I really wish my mentee was here with me. And I was like, oh, I should start a snowboard mentoring program. And then that, that's literally where everything kicked off. Like, my whole journey started and I realized that like there's this traditional path in running some sort of charity and like I mean kudos and hats off to all of my nonprofit people that can like deal with government grants and filing grant applications and proposals it just it wasn't necessarily where my heart and skill set was at the time when I first started I just knew how to throw parties and I knew how to get money doing alternative things and so like selling skate selling snowboards was one of them right right convincing other people to get money for me that was another skill and then 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 
as I started to go through this process and I set a deadline and a date for launching the very first one-on-one -on -one snowboard mentoring program, I think in the world, uh, uh, it was, it was, uh, I, I knew that I needed to do something. And so I went back to my mentor who owned restaurants at the time. He rest, he owned a restaurant and a bar. And I said, let me do a party at your place. And so he got some donated liquor. I got a bunch of donations to do silent auction and raffles. I got my friend to donate his DJ services. And I invited my whole entire world that I knew. And I did this three days before the first date of the program. So I didn't even have all of the money to do the program. Right. So you were hustling by the sounds of it. There's a lot. Of <laughs> it was, I didn't have all the money, but that night I got all the money yeah, that I right. needed to do, but it was sure. three days before the program. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of the way uh, it's been, you know? So you were all in and you said a couple of things there that are really interesting. So you said, so the first thing that I wanted to ask you about is you said, you knew the value of, of mentorship because you'd been, you'd seen that for yourself when you were younger. So can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, I had, so I didn't have a mentor per se. I had a community. I had, and my, I had a community that expected more of me and they had high expectations of me. Like whether it was my family, my extended family, like my baseball coach, like people, like people at school, like people just expected me to do more than my environment dictated. Right. And it was like, I was expected to. And so they've been, can I, sorry to interrupt. Can I just ask a little question about that? Like in, in, in so far as like expectations, like role models showing you a different path, Mm -hmm. You know, like, cause that can take many forms, can't it? You know, this, yeah, this kind yeah. of idea that, you know, it takes a village kind of thing, you know, like that, that manifests itself in different ways. So is, was it, was it a com was it a combination of those influences? Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a lot of opportunities growing up, even though my family didn't have a lot of money. My mom was a hustler. She's the original hustler, <laughs> hustle for good. Um, and um, she was able to tap into community cause like, really what it comes down to like in life and in period are skills, relationships and experiences. Right. And if you're able to push and pull on all of those different levels, it levers, it, it, it help, helps dictate who you are and where you end up in life. And so I was very, very fortunate growing up and it took me a really long time to figure out like why I do what I do. And it was like, Oh yeah, it's the reason why is because, I grew up in New York in the 80s and when it came time to go to high school like New York in the 80s was terrible it was the crack epidemic schools were terrible New York City was terrible like it was just an unsafe place and like uh, high schools it was like pressure for high schools like because your high school helped dictate like your trajectory then I'm my elementary school teacher, uh, principal called my mom and said, Hey, this rich guy named, uh, George Donahue wants to give a young black boy a chance. So I got a scholarship to a private school on a wealthy part of Long Island in New York. And that's where I went to four schools. And it, 
you know, change my trajectory, I believe, right? Like I wouldn't be sure. sitting here talking to you. Yeah. Um, if, if I, if I, if I didn't go there. Um, so I almost feel like in many ways it's my, it's my obligation. It's my, my moral duty to, to do that for other kids that look like me. So it's, yeah. Okay. So it's a set of circumstances that conspired to take you out of your trajectory, as you put it, which is obviously a really nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, which explains the, yeah, like your passion and why you understand the power of it so much. And we'll, I think we'll get to that in a second because obviously that's, that's built into the concept of stoked, you know, like closing this opportunity gap, like giving kids a chance to escape their predestined path, you know, which is a huge part of social empowerment anyway, isn't it? And, and, and social charity work. It's a, it's, it's about trying to give people those opportunities that they might not have. But you said something else that was, that was really interesting. You said something like you quit your job. You, you, you like, you, you made a math, you made a huge change. You, you moved back in with your parents. Maybe is that what you said? So, yeah. 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 So, At so 28 so, about to be 29. Yeah. I, I moved that back in with my family. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you were on a, another path before you made what is a huge decision. So what was going on there? Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I so I'm writing a book and or I wrote a book. It's being edited now and it's it's about it's called Life Purpose Secrets. Um, ten ways to find meaning in times of uncertainty. And that's my little plug. But the the plug, one thing plug that, away, man. <laughs> the the one thing that I um the one thing that I take from that time is like if you are unhappy with your current life, change it. And sometimes it's little micro difference. For me, I needed to just kind of like tear it up and then start over and then sort of channel that energy towards something bigger than myself. So I was on the path of like, like I had my business, I had, I was in a relationship, it was a long-term relationship. And even when I started my business, got to a point where it became successful so this is a digital this is a digital marketing agency in the music industry yeah. right yeah right. yeah yeah my so my my um my my path was very much very it was pretty formulaic i was like all right so i'm gonna work i'm gonna work a lot and on the <laughs> weekends i'm gonna spend money like <laughs> And I'm not going to, I was like, this can't be life. Like the like, American dream, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think in many ways it's like, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of that. It's like this, this feeling of like, it's not, yeah, it just wasn't fulfilling. Right. And so, and that's the insight that you had like at that point. Yeah. And, and, uh, it was kind of compounded with the idea of nine 11 right? Like 9-11 really shaped, I think a lot of like people that were adults during that time, it really, really shaped like our paths. And so for me, it was, it was very like, you know, the city that I lived in was like destroyed. There were like stories of, uh, people dying, uh, you know, people jumping out of the towers to try to save their lives. Um, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of chaos, 
news 24-7, right? Hatred against Muslims, right? Like, it's not all that different than these days, right? Like, in a, <laughs> but in a completely different, in a different context, right? Yeah, it I mean, it's, just, funny, it's funny you say that because, um, you know, it just feel, it, it feels almost like not as bad back then for some reason, given what's going on now, you know, like it almost feels yeah, yeah. like it's been dialed up so much now that it's yeah. almost possible to be like slightly wistful for those years in some bizarre way, isn't it? You know, um, yeah. but yeah, I completely understand what you're saying. Right. So that was like yeah. a hugely formative. Yeah. So it made, that, like, it made me, it made me just rethink everything. And like during that time, in order to actually cope, I mean, it was just a lot of like sort of intoxicating myself, numbing myself and which led to a lot of, it led to depression and, you know, anxiety and just lot not knowing who I was at the time. And it was literally until I, I, uh, I read that book that I just told you about no more prisons. Right. Really, it really turned it around for me, you know? And so that's, that's, uh, that for me is is uh, the thing that I think about these days. Like when, like, if you're unhappy with your life, it's way better to be ahead of it than to like get to a point where you're like, oh my god, I want to like throw, you know, cry in a closet with a cover over my head, right? Like it's just. It's just I always I always think it's about forward movement. You know, mm-hmm. it's about it's about making a decision. Which is really, which can be really difficult. Like, you know, obviously you made a, a, a big decision to change yeah. it. But, you know, whenever I, I'm in these situations myself or I look at friends that are in situations where, you know, they're maybe there's, they're, they're, they're in a raw or they're stagnating or whatever, whatever it is, you know, they're, they're, they're not happy, let's put it that way. I always just think you just got to make a decision. You got to make, because a decision is forward movement, isn't it? You know, like, and it will, it will initiate a change you know, whatever, whatever that ends up becoming, you know, and your story kind of demonstrates that really, doesn't it? Because you've obviously had this double vision for like the power of what this mentorship program could be using Mm -hmm. action sports as the vehicle, but then also what it could do for you personally in terms of how you could live your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it was so interesting. So up until I started Stoked, I had always gone snowboarding by myself. And it wasn't until I started Stoke till I actually snowboarded with other people. Right. And so it was in many ways, it was a it was a great healer for me. And not, a, you know, my mom, this is like my mom's quote that is like, you know, the most selfish thing you could do is help somebody else. What right? does that what, what, what does that mean? How does she, what does she mean by that? Because sometimes as you're helping somebody else, it's almost like the universe helps you more than what you're helping somebody else because you're not only solving somebody else's problem and the satisfaction from that, but you're solving something yourself. And so it's like, it's, it's a very, very, um, it's, it's a powerful way to, to heal anything is, is like, First, you need to have a rooted, solid foundation because lots of times you can go into this mindset of like, I need to like, I don't have my shit together, so I'm going to help somebody else. Like, no, you humble yourself down to the point of where you are so empathetic that you can serve somebody with no agenda. And through that process, you help yourself. 
right? Like you create new opportunities for yourself. You create this new life. Like my whole entire life is is a result of of the decision that I made in order to uh, change stoked. That's a really that's a really powerful insight, isn't it? Really, you know, to look at it in that way, because again, that word altruism isn't usually considered in that way, is it? You know. Yeah, because it altruism, even the word altruism is very is a is a is it's it it seems like a a, a very it's like a light word that has a a positive connotation meaning that doesn't does it feel passive in a way it it feels a little passive right it's but it's kind of like it's kind of like when people say philanthropy or charity like yeah it almost doesn't actually truly you know describe the the feeling that you get right so like altruism is altruism is probably the closest but you know i feel like there's there's a better word out there i don't have it on me but there's like this amazing feeling of being able to create something that truly changes lives right and i'm not saying that oh well i don't i don't want to disqualify that because the feeling that i have and if if it's like and i don't want it to come off like a flex at all but it's like there's one thing to make money right there's one thing about getting a deal or getting a client right or even just raising money but there's another feeling of knowing that like creating of being able to create a platform or create or be part of a community that's way bigger than yourself and knowing that like like truly lives are being like whole entire outlooks and perceptions and and we're not even big you know what i mean like we're not even i look at like you know organizations like skatistan which i absolutely love and like they're going into like countries where like it's not even possible to yeah. to, to get any kind of hope right I look at like the you know the stuff that we're doing and like the United States is I love I love the United States but it's definitely not the best place for for certain segments of this population namely black and brown people and it's almost like they they put the allure of this dream in front of you but then they put systems and institutions and things in place and even culturally that prevents people from getting there. And so I feel like, you know, and we haven't, you know, explicitly said it. And we now, because of the state of the world, we are. It's like, yeah, it makes me really happy to be the only and black people. And like, we bring a mob of black people to the <laughs> beach. And, and like, and we bring a mob of black and brown people to the mountains. Like, that's like that's that's like social justice work right there that's like being able to expose because it's literally not fair it's not fair that a small amount of people get to experience this lifestyle and so it's kind of how i feel about stoke like yeah we're democratizing and making having fun uh <laughs> and that we're, we're we're making stoke uh equitable right 
because everybody should be able to have the feeling of dropping into a wave or connecting an S turn or bombing a hill. Like everybody's, it's like the best feeling in the world. That's why you created a podcast around it, right? Yeah, exactly. Like- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And like you say, you know, like unfortunately they are that like class dictates it and an op- and social opportunity does dictate it. That is true. I mean, it's really interesting what you said about being given the dream and what systems are in place to make it impossible for you to to achieve that dream. Have you seen that? There's that Martin Luther King amazing little clip where he says, it's a cruel jest to tell a bootless man to pull himself up by his bootstraps. You know, it's essentially that concept. That's right. It, you know? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's about democratizing that opportunity for everybody but also making it because you describe it as social entrepreneurship as well which is which is a really interesting concept that seems to speak to this non-passive approach to this that we're that we've been talking about you know mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. so it feels it feels like there's more there's more of an empowerment element to this which is about helping people understand that the, the, those opportunities are there to be grasped in, with yes. the work that you're doing yes yes and i i um i think but i think that's the sort of you know skater in us right like it's just like it's kind of rooted in like i remember being younger and my family lived in florida for a little bit and that's where i truly got into skateboarding skateboard culture in the 80s and I remember it was like if there was I lived in a development, there was like construction. So we would like take wood and make our own ramps, right? Like it was like that kind of, or we'd see PVC pipes and we'd, you know, board slide the PVC pipes. And like, it was like one of those types of things. And it was like very active. And I feel like I've taken that to sort of my work at Stoked. And um, yeah, it's, I think in many ways people, always say like oh how do you like how did you know because in a world where everybody changes jobs every three years like how how do i how have i stayed at the same job for 15 years right is because every day is exciting and the world of uh low-income black and brown youth and giving them opportunity is not going away until lots of stuff happens um, and then if you take, you know, racial inequity and that being brought to the forefront, it is, um, it's a real, it's, it, it just, it adds another lens and it gives, it adds more fuel to, to the, to the mission and the purpose, you know? So you've been going 15 years. Um, so how, how, how big is the, the organization now and you know what ambitions so pre pre covid <laughs> pre covid i mean we we uh we worked with so we've impacted um you know about 4000 mentors 6000 kids um we work with about 600 kids annually um each of those kids got uh almost uh they got 570 hours of programming each wow um so we went deep with a, a good amount of kids. Um, we're in New York, LA, um, and small program in Chicago, and um, and uh, and so now we've because of the the COVID and the sports, we have 
had now had to reshift our programming. Um, and so the state of our sports are in limbo. Um, but what we're doing in the meantime is really going in on providing each kid with a mentor and um, supporting them social, emotionally. And because now kids are, are stuck at home. Um, and uh, and so while the world of education is doing their best to figure out how they're going to educate the kids, Stoked is putting ourselves in a position so that we can provide the social and emotional uh, support for young people during this time, right? So every one of our kids is going to be matched up uh, with an adult that is trained and being anti-racist and unconscious bias. Um, and then they're going to work on career. And as the world, our world starts opening up with, um, with the sports and snowboarding, skateboarding and surfing, then we'll slowly be integrating more and more uh, of the sports. But right now we're building up for our our fall mentoring program. So like our mentoring program that's gonna be happening. And you know, the 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 downside before COVID was we were limited by our structure um, being in a physical location. Uh, however, now with with technology, now we have the opportunity to even serve more kids um, and take what we do and and expand it even more. And so it's, uh, you know, there are pluses and minuses and to everything. Um, but that's, that's, that's how big we are. Yeah. I mean, like everyone, it's about adapting right now, isn't it? And, yeah. um, and, and seeing what you can make out of this situation. I mean, the, I read a thing online where the, the mission statement of Stokes was summed up as what if we could use action sports to teach 21st century skills to urban youth yeah. which is which is like a a big a big s s ambition you know yeah yeah like um so why you know you've explained a little bit but i'd like to dig into it a little bit more if that's all right why is action sports the right vehicle to achieve that so it's so funny you asked that so i so the uh, so I've been working with a lot of uh, people that work with like energy drinks, like the big energy drink companies, and yeah. I tell the, I tell them this. I've told them, and this is kind of kind of sum up. So do you see a kid that um, a kid that's a skateboarder, and they attempt a trick ninety nine times, and they'll do it for like weeks, right? They'll do it. And it's a trick they've been working on. They do it 99 times. They landeth, land it on the 100th time. And they go to do it again on the 101st time. They don't land it. They'll go for another 300 times just <laughs> to get that feeling. Yeah, right? Well, we, everyone listening to this knows that one. <laughs> right? So that essence that got them to, that got that, that kid to attempt the trick another 300 times, I want to put that in a bottle and I want to market it to all young kids. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, on that point, have you seen the, the, you obviously saw the clip that Tony Hawk was sharing of the Ukrainian girl landing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that was amazing. It, that, but that's what you're talking about, isn't it? You know, that yeah. 
that sense of fulfillment, that sense of achievement to drive you to, to new outcomes, basically. Yeah. And so, I mean, and then the other, the other thing is like, you know, you fall down, get back up, fall down, get back up. The more you fall down, the more you learn how not to fall down, the less you fall down, the more successful you become, the more successful you become, the higher and faster you want to go, the higher and faster you want to go, the more places you want to go to experience that same thing. And like, that's life. And so there's so many parallels to life. Um, and so for me, I just think that, and we know that it's just, it accelerates those skills in a very, it, in a, in a, just a shorter time frame than traditional. And so for me, it's like, yeah, I think whether kids become skateboarders or not, or snowboarders or not, I believe that all kids should learn how to ride a board and like, yeah, at least like do an ollie, you know what I mean? Just because there's, there's something in, in terms of the resiliency, but then that's the core. And then you add on, on the, on top of that, you get the community, uh, and the, com the confidence, right? So like resilience breeds confidence, confidence breeds all these other skills like collaboration, creativity, style, uh, you know, community. It's just like all these other things that are sort of wrapped up in one. And I, you know, it's a great pathway for young people. Is, right. Is, vi is, is visibility also an important part of it? You know, the idea like you can't be what you can't see. Yes. Yes. Um, so having, having mirrors, right? Like yeah, knowing exactly. Well, be, well, because the other thing too is action sports is they're solo sports, right? And, <laughs> It is very much a, um, they're solo sports, but it's very individualistic. And, uh, and you know, if you see a kid landing a trick at, and they're skateboarding by themselves at a skate park, that's a self-starting kid, <laughs> right? That's not like, that's not a, that's not a thing that, that is normal right to do something like that by yourself it takes a very special kid who to do it. even surfing surfing or even snowboarding like kids don't do that themselves they do it in community with people and they're often mentored through that process so there's like mentoring baked into all of action sports it just hasn't necessarily been called out there've always been the older kids at the skate park the older right like and they've always like raised the the young people up in a in a method in which they they learn about the respect and they learn about the rules and the cultures and the norms of of the lifestyle and so or even the skate shop the skate shop is the is was the first community center right like it's just like this the skate and serve is so there's there's youth development baked into action sports it just hasn't always been uh you know structurally uh designed to be inclusive yeah yeah i mean it makes sense yeah so you try to harness harness it and provide people with a path basically to yeah it's to, not like it's not like it's just not a it's, it hasn't so like you know the the biggest thing is like yeah if you want to get more kids to go surfing and just get more black and brown people to get 
into surfing, you need to solve the issues around swimming. And then you need to address the issues that happened during Jim Crow that didn't permit black people from engaging in beach and surf culture, right? Like, like there, there's so many structural issues around, uh, you know, these sports. Yeah, the cult, the cultures that have led to this, to the situation we have now. Let's say, like you said, the systemic, yeah. the systemic structures that have, that have led us here, as yeah. you described. So anyway, so that's why I, I mean. Yeah, I just I, I look at I look at other sports, I look at other cultures that have like attempted to, you know, become more inclusive and, and those are the things that I continue to investigate. And that's actually one of the things that like stoked is is like our net like our iteration as we move forward in this uh post COVID world is is really around uh like mentorship um and creating a pipeline for for young people of black and brown to uh, adopt this as a lifestyle right so like whether it's career or participation like just really putting an emphasis on that because it has been very much underrepresented so on the subject of of this um i found your instagram video that you posted around i think it's you know it's a couple of months ago and the Black Lives Matter, Blackout Tuesday was at its height. You know, you, you posted a really, really fascinating video on Instagram about your own relationship with your heritage and, and, and how you were thinking about the situation, which, which what, what prompted you to, to post that? You know, I, uh, yeah. And thank you for watching that and just even bringing that up. I, you know, for me, I uh, there's one thing that I've learned through the process of being stoked is that like when you are a when you sort of run a community, you're a community leader. Oftentimes, uh, you need to you need to speak in order to communicate with the people that are part of your community. And that's the beauty of having social media is that like now everybody has a voice. And I've also taken a very sort of proactive voice uh, position on social media. And as you if you look at it as what it is, it's literally media. And if we are our own channel, we might as well put out whatever information that that reverberates with what's inside us. Yeah, and so that's that's on the sort of external level. On an internal level, I I I I I posted that video and I basically talked about how. Well, I'll tell you why I did it before I tell you what. But the reason why I did it uh, was because I know that if it was if it's something that I'm struggling with, and I've learned this enough, if it's something that I'm struggling with, if I'm able to put speak truth to my words or truth to my thoughts i don't i do it for me but i know again it goes to the most selfish thing you could do is to serve someone else is like i know that if i do it for me it's going to touch a right person and they may not even ever tell me but i know i do it for other people and so even 
like and which is why like i would encourage everyone that listens to this to be able to speak truth to words but do it in a way that doesn't put people down but do it in a way that that uplifts and empowers people so it's not about rants it's more about speaking your truth right and so so for me i talked about how it was very hard for me to relate to the Black Lives Matter movement because I was raised as a Haitian American. And as a Haitian American, uh, Haitian people uh, looked at Black Americans as somebody different. I was raised to believe that I was of a different race, whether it was explicit or not. Like when it came time to check box what my race was, I clicked other and I wrote Haitian, right? Like it's obviously it's not true, but that was the, ra- the way I was raised. Ask any Haitian per- person, period, and they tell you the same thing, whether they admit it or not. <laughs> and, that, and, and can I just ask a question about that? So is, and is that linked to the very specific history of that country? Absolutely. I mean, Cause of, my cause, av- cause... I have a Jamaican friend who said the same thing, but... But yeah, for, for Haitians, it's like there was the first country in the Western Hemisphere uh, colonial to, to, to gain its independence, right? The first black uh, sort of uh, uh, like first black republic to gain independence from its colonial power. It's a lot of pride, uh, you know, I, overthrow. I believe, I, I believe it's the only successful slave revolt, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so... So for me, it's uh, so there was just a lot of pride in being Haitian. So I was like, you're not right. black, you're Haitian, right? And you have culture, like all this other stuff. And so, and, 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 and the fact that I was raised like that, and then I went to all white schools growing up, like I, the high school, the, you know, private wealthy school, like it, it just kind of let it. So for me, I was always about the work of providing black and brown, but I just, I, it was hard for me to connect even bef- before George Floyd and all of that. It was hard for me to connect truly because Haitian people like, you know, I don't, you know, like we're going to come to this country. We're going to do what we need to do. Don't, don't pay attention to the systems. We're just going to do what we need to do regardless. Right. Like it's just kind of that like mentality. Um, and when I, I realized that like that, that kind of mindset doesn't serve the cause, right? And, and it, it, I don't even want to say that. It's more about like, so for me to even say black lives matter, it's like, like, yes, black lives matter, right? Like, yeah, it, and it's not better than Haitians, better than whites or whatever. It's and I, and it's not even like an all lives matter thing. It's more of a uh as like a as a human as a I, I'm a black person. And even through this whole process, it's like yes, I've achieved certain uh I've achieved certain levels of success in life and in business. And then it it had me reflect on the things in my career that have like held, like potentially held me back. But like, I mean, like I said, I, when I posted that video, I had my Haitian friends, my Caribbean friends, like people 
Like they called me and I was like, Steve, you ex- said exactly what I was thinking. And part of it truly was, is that like who I am as a person, I could never hold on to using my race as a means to like justify anything that had happened. Like I'd push that to the side. Right. And I just did what I needed to do. But that's not the case for a whole race of people. That's just like, it's not, it's not, it's not the case. Um, so for me, it's more about like, in my, in my, in my path moving forward, it's literally about like being an ally, being a champion, being an advocate. I mean, there, there are things that I could tell you like offline, like the things that I've done that like the, the death of George Floyd is not going to go in vain. There are going to be, and it's not just for me thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives are going to be changed because of this. Because now it's like, like, it's okay. And I can say this to, you know, your audience, it's okay to say the word black, you can say black, right? (laughs) Like, it's okay to say black, you can say it to describe a, a, a particular person. It's not there's nothing wrong with saying the word black, right? I can say I'm proud to be black. But me saying I'm proud to be black and the fact that I want to empower more black entrepreneurs and I want to get, that doesn't mean that I have to take away. I'm not taking anything away. I believe in abundance. But right now, black and brown, I, I think about like all the, the kids that are, that have gone through my program and like, and or the kids that will go through my program and what I want to be able to do for them. And in order for me to do everything that I want, I need to dismantle. We need to dismantle a lot of systems in order for that to happen, you know? So I said that as almost an admission, but more of a, like, like a more of a, like a, a confession or an admission, but as a rallying cry for myself. That's why in, it was so powerful because that's what came across. And that's why I bring it up because you could almost see the, I'm not going to say weightlifted because that that's presumptuous of me to say that, but you know it was, it, it was you could almost see the realization, you know, from from of of this of this change. So I guess my next question would be, how'd that feel? Um, really good, really good. I I mean, like I like I said, I I um, you know, like many others that are in this work, we're we're doing our best to like just just learn to learn about the language learn about the learn about the history learn about like how it shows up right like i mean you know i i feel i feel really really you know it's it's really good to even for yourself right like as a white person to be able to have the black perspective onto your show right like i think it's like those are the types of things that we need to we need to have right like your audience needs to hear this, right? Um, and you know, it there's there's so many different things, that, and it's it's given me a lot of direction, and it's given me a lot of purpose around um, that. So yeah. Okay, Steve, I got one final question for you, if that's all right. Sure. Yeah. Um, wh- like, what's next for Stokes? Like, where where do you see it going? 
So we're really diving in heavy with this mentoring, but really, I mean, we're calling it like the pipeline. So it's like, what does the future of action sports look like? And we think it's more inclusive, more it's diverse, and it's not just like getting kids on boards. It's more about like, you know, what do skateboard and surfboard and snowboard catalogs look like and websites look like and and what does the models look like and what does the executive level look like? Like that's what I'm excited about, to be able to like be part of shaping the conversation and and making it like really representative of like what the world is, you know? Like yeah. Making this sport and lifestyle like more inclusive. So Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. This was so much fun. Um, I really, really appreciate um, your time and and inviting me on to be on your show. It's a real pleasure. It's a real pleasure. So there you go. That was me and Steve LaRosalier. I'm going to say it again because it rolls off the tongue beautifully. Um, I believe that is a Haitian name. And what a smart and thought-provoking individual Steve is. I very much enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for coming on the show, Steve. Now, you probably noticed that our conversation did end quite abruptly, and that's because basically Steve is a very busy man and he had another appointment to get to. He had flagged that to me, but I was having such a great time during that conversation. I just ignored him, to be honest, and kept trucking along until it became pretty clear that he had to leave. So that's how come it's a little truncated at the end. Anyway, thanks, Steve. Look forward to meeting you in person one day. Make sure you check out Steve's work and the work of Stoked over at stoked.org. So housekeeping corner time and the response to last episode's housekeeping corner made made me think a little bit, actually. You know, when you run a podcast, you get access to all kinds of statistics. One of the stats that you get is when people stop listening. And what you find naturally is that a big proportion of listeners drop off when the actual interview itself stops. But there is a big, significant number. And if you're listening now, that includes you, who stick with it right to the bitter end, who listen to every second of Housekeeping Corner, who don't mind my silly little rants and have even actually started sending me their own favourite complicults. And I want to take this opportunity to say I salute you and thank fuck the rest of them have finally fucked off, eh? So we can get on with the best bit of the podcast. Now, in the UK, we had this much-loved Saturday morning radio show for many years, the Adam and Joe show. I think it ran from 8 till midday every Saturday morning. And the first hour... They designated, black, they designated Black Squadron Hour, i.e. if you were asked enough to be listening at 8am on a Saturday morning, you were a proper diehard. I think you can see where I'm going with this, right? What I'm saying is, if you're listening now, I see your unnecessary dedication and I thank you for it. So on that note, I've got a couple of topics this week. What a fucking build-up, eh? They better be good. The first of which was a follow-up on the interrupting observation that I made last episode from a listener he obviously it was a man I think we're all aware of that these days writes hi Matt really enjoy the podcast I've just been catching up listening to Phil Young and Lauren Hill on a long drive after the housekeeping corner I thought I'd give you a bit of my input Nicholas Muller this is the only podcast of yours I've deliberately cut short it felt like you were agreeing and endorsing his theories that's your editorial choice and my choice to stop or continue listening however it did make me aware that for other shows and statements, I may have taken things at face value. Perhaps some other things could also have been challenged. Further feedback was the feeling that you interrupted Lauren when she was speaking, which didn't happen in the conversation with Phil. I've reworded that sentence a few times to try and give this feedback simply, subjectively and neutrally, because I know I would feel defensive if somebody sent me that statement. 
keep doing what you're doing and I'll make a start on my end of the bargain by requesting some interviewees. Susie Chan is the top of my is the top of the list. I've got to be honest, I don't know who Susie Chan is, so I'm gonna have a look at that. I've been meaning to do that for a while. Take it easy, George. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. Like I always say, really enjoy the feedback. Now I'm not gonna address the Muller editorial thing again as I covered that at the end of Phil's episode the other week and I've covered it at various points over the history of this podcast I do think that the idea that there might be some gender bias that manifests itself in me interrupting women more than men is a very interesting observation I think it's entirely plausible to be honest I'm not going to rule it out you know much as we might try and consciously rise above the systems that society has placed around us as steve so eloquently put it during our chat it isn't easy there's every likelihood that i am subject to my own cognitive gender bias that i do do this so i'm going to keep an eye on that thanks for pointing that one out george in the inter- in the interest of balance i did read that one out to a mate who's been listening since episode one and he said what a load of bollocks by all means listen to criticism but if you start trying to please everyone you'll go mad another fair point which i will indeed take on board also had some follow-up this isn't from george this is just the next part of housekeeping corner on the matt warshaw episode over the last few weeks mainly centered on the words the long ones yes i am inverting the commas that featured in the intro a lot of emails and messages from people saying stuff like bloody hell mate needed a dictionary for that intro and a lot of them from friends as well to be honest Now, I've got to be honest, I've had people saying this to me since I started writing for White Lines and Snowboard UK 25 years ago. Back then, I used to live in a chalet in Maribel with a big group of friends. And every time the new issue came out, my old mate, John O'Vera, used to berate me for the number of big words that I used in the article. I mean, I even love the expression big words. And rummaging around the loft recently, I even found a fake handwritten letter that Jono had sent to the mag purporting to be from a reader complaining about sad tendency good times I mean if that doesn't go to show you how much time we had on our hands doing those seasons I don't know what will I mean I've always found it fascinating how triggered and I use the word advisedly people get when faced with a humble word that they're unfamiliar with ideological multitudes are contained therein and you know the thing is though it is true you know, I am definitely overly wordy. I remember being at a party years ago, just after my White Lines article about our trip to Iran, which I've mentioned many times on this podcast, came out. And my mate Johnny, it's not Jono, it's Johnny this time, who doesn't know anything about snowboarding, came up to me and said, I read your article about Iraq. Found it a bit prolix, to be honest. Again, he had a point. It was pretty prolix. So, I mean, you know, I just like the versatility of the English language. What can I say? I like having the full armory at my, dis- at my disposal. I like the concept of the right word, which is something that Flaubert defined, the idea that there is exactly the right word or phrase for a situation. Now, of course, you do need to balance that with being easily understood. That's what George Orwell, for example, was on about when he said good writing is like a window pane. I, anyone can see through it. He hated excess prolixity and considered it bourgeois and privileged in the modern parlance. And I think he had a point. But, you know, as I say all the time, this thing is free and it takes a lot of my time. So I'm going to please myself. Otherwise, what's the point? And that Matt Warshaw intro was definitely pleasing myself with that one. Anyway, the debate took on extra life recently when a message arrived via WhatsApp from my old mucker, Ben Mundy. Ben Mundy's a very dear old friend of mine. He's a surf journalist. I've known him 
donkeys. He's going to be on the podcast soon, actually. I'm going to see him in a couple of weeks. We're going to go and record. We're going to record an episode. I would say Ben is definitely from the Orwell school of prose appreciation. I don't think he likes overly fussy prose. We used to run a writing agency together. I used to edit Ben's work. So I know exactly what goes on in, in Ben's mind when it comes to these things. Anyway, Ben sent me a message which said, you get your own feature on the latest wavelength podcast, Barrow. I have to try and explain some of your more challenging words and phrases from the Warshaw interview. I fail. Basically, they've took the piss out of me on the new Wavelength podcast, him and Paul Evans. Now, as Dame Edna Everidge said, never be afraid of laughing at yourself. You might be missing the greatest joke in the world. And, you know, that is pretty funny, isn't it? Anyway, if you want to hear me being ribbed about this by Mundy and Paulie, head on over to the latest episode of the It's Not The Length podcast. I mean, you should be subscribing anyway, because it's rad. And while you're there, check out some of the writing um, by the boys, particularly Paul Evans' poignant, heartfelt tribute to Blue Juice that was published recently, something he definitely didn't write because his bosses told him to support the new Wavelength driving series in Newquay. Oh no, that definitely didn't happen. Truly stirring stuff and a tribute to one of the surfing celluloid masterpieces, I think you'll agree. Anyway, if you're still listening, I salute you. And if you bowed out earlier, I salute you too. I didn't really mean it when I said, thank fuck you'd stop listening. Um, But I'll see you next time. Nice one.